Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and many others. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, and the Family Podcast Network. Podcast episodes also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send questions, comments, feedback, or guest suggestions to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. That's pcfpodcast at vhha.com. And today we are excited to be joined by Dr. Frank Amico Jr., a heart failure transplantation interventional and critical care cardiologist at Chesapeake Regional Healthcare. He joins us today to discuss his work, his personal brushes with serious medical conditions, the power of spirit in recovery, and more. We'll get into all that in just a moment, but first, welcome to the program, Dr. Amico. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate you making the time. We normally begin each episode by getting to know our guests a bit more. In this case, your personal story of perseverance, recovery, and overcoming the odds is so powerful. I actually want to hold off on that for just a moment to create some anticipation. So instead... Let's begin by talking about your work and the topic of heart health. We are recording this in late January, about a week before February, which is American Heart Health Month. Heart disease is the leading cause of death worldwide, and cardiovascular disease cases and mortality rates continue to rise sharply on a dramatic scale. We know that things like poor diet, lack of physical activity, and bad habits like smoking are risk factors for cardiovascular disease. With that very brief bit of background, if you would, Dr. Amico, tell us about your work as a cardiologist and the types of patients you treat and the procedures you perform and the conditions that you are addressing. Sure. So I do a a spectrum of conditions and procedures. So from the general palpitations, you know, chest pain to pure cutaneous coronary intervention, as well as evaluating patients for left ventricular assist devices, as well as transplant. So the procedures I perform, again, range from pure cutaneous coronary intervention to left ventricular assist devices, pure cutaneous left ventricular assist devices, and then, again, working patients up for durable left ventricular assist devices such as LVAD or transplantation. Currently not offered at Chesapeake Regional, but we do evaluate them and then work with colleagues in the area to have that done. In addition to that, I'll see clinic patients, which basic palpitations, shortness of breath, and management of chronic congestive heart failure. And then patients in the ICU, I'll assist with management of patients because, you know, the Management of a, an advanced heart failure patient or a patient with cardiogenic shock is very niched and very, very um, technical in regards to what medications should or should not be used. And so, therefore, we want to offer at Chesapeake Regional the best patient care that possible. And therefore, you know, working with our pulmonary critical care physicians as, as well as our other interventional cardiologists and our surgeons, we want to, we basically tailor therapies for our patients to the exact care that they need. Uh, and therefore, as someone who's trained both in advanced heart failure as well as interventional cardiology is kind of niche and kind of well-suited for such a position. Uh, In fact, recently I was asked to write a paper in the Journal of Cardiac Failure or at least submit a paper for the Journal of Cardiac Failure to see what the nexus is between the fields of interventional cardiology and advanced heart failure because as more people are training in both, it's becoming more and more common and therefore the deployment of these kind of physicians are becoming more and more common. Healthcare's constant complexities and distractions can make it difficult to focus on medicine. Covaris can help. Covaris offers medical liability insurance, value-based care risk protection, employer stop-loss insurance, and so much more. 
You can count on Coveris for protection and services that help you stay free to focus on improving clinical, operational, and financial outcomes. Find out all that Coveris can offer you at Coveris.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-Y-S.com. Insurance products issued by Medical Professional Mutual Insurance Company and its insurance subsidiaries. One thing that I'm curious about, we mentioned that there have been, on a global scale, uh, that heart disease remains the number one cause of death and that there actually has been an increase in mortality rates over the recent years and a, a pretty significant one. To what do you attribute that rise or that increase in the number of cardiovascular cases and the rising number of cardiovascular-related deaths? So it's interesting you actually said that. I've been discussing this with my partner, Dr. Butch, Shesh Butch, who works at me at Chesapeake Regional Medical Center in the past. And we suspect, again, we don't can't prove, but we suspect it's secondary to COVID and people staying home, staying away from hospitals and not getting the care that they need. But let's face it, our treatments are better than they have ever been. We've had better pumps. We have better medications. We have better ways of deploying stents, but yet we have outcomes that are, like you said, that are or mortality that's increasing. So we have to ask ourselves a question, why? Well, is it an aging population? Definitely could definitely partly be part of the problem or, or the issue that you mentioned? Or is it secondary people not getting care because they're afraid to come to the emergency department, people staying home because they don't want to be exposed? And, you know, you say to yourself, well, it sounds very reasonable, right? Well, not if you're having, you know, nonspecific atypical symptoms of angina that cause you to have a, a then a, a massive cardio, myocardial infarction leading to death. So I, I think it's, it's a combination of the aforementioned reasons. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And we certainly know just looking at statewide hospital data, and we've been vocal about this, as I know many others have as well, that we did see volumes decline in patient and emergency department visits throughout the three-year COVID period for the public health emergency. You know, the only place where we actually saw an increase in utilization in the inpatient setting was for mental health, behavioral health, substance abuse, every other type of service line, for the most part, across Virginia, across hospital settings, we saw a decline. So we do know that people put off care, and, and that can be harmful to health. So appreciate you sharing that. Dr. Amico, in doing some research, I see you attended medical school in Philadelphia. You completed your residency at an academic medical center in Long Island, New York, and as well as fellowships in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. As a native of New Jersey myself, with family connections in New York, including Long Island, and a former Northeast Philadelphia resident, I'm personally curious to know if you're originally from that region. So I'm originally from Long Island, New York. Basically, well, I was accepted to multiple medical schools and decided to attend in Philadelphia. I'm happy to give you the whole uh, rundown if you're interested. Or... Sure, absolutely. Okay. Attended medical school in Philadelphia and then upon a return to Long Island to, you know, close to family, then accepted to a cardiology fellowship in Brownsville, New Jersey at Deborah Hart and Lung Center. Then following that, I was <clears throat> kind of reached a crossing in the road in the career. I said, well, do I want to do interventional cardiology? Do you want to do advanced heart failure? So at that point, the position open was advanced heart failure. And I was offered a position at Christiana Care in Delaware, which then kind of matched with University of Pennsylvania as well as Christiana Care and actually Temple University, uh, where I, I spent time at each one of the institutions, predominantly at Christiana Care in Delaware, then secondly at University of Pennsylvania with some time at Temple University doing pulmonary arterial hypertension with Dr. Paul Forfia. And then I was then 
<clears throat> ironically, was offered a spot at East Carolina University with Dr. Butch, who was then the main trainer at the institution there, who's now my partner here at Chesapeake Regional. And following that, given the unique training, uh, the advanced heart failure and transplant director at the local institution in Centera offered me a position working there. So I did work at Centera for two years and then transferred to Chesapeake Regional Medical Center, where I now currently hold my position. A few moments ago, we foreshadowed some of the harrowing medical experience that you have personally encountered. One involved your work as a volunteer firefighter during medical school. In the process of that work, you incurred a traumatic brain injury leading to a severe illness that ultimately caused you to undergo two temporal lobectomies, which is a form of brain surgery. In another situation, a few years later, you were in a serious car accident that severed your spinal cord. You became a paraplegic, and through rehabilitation, you progressed from a wheelchair to a walker, crutches, and ultimately restored your ability to walk. I wonder, what can you tell me about those experiences and how you've processed them and adjusted to them? Well, both are very different, very similar. Both definitely had their different challenges as well as their different yeah, different challenges, I'd say. So I was injured as a volunteer fireman. I did suffer brain injury. I did undergo a temporal lobectomy as well as a hippocampectomy during medical school, which was made it difficult to have some memory issues on returning to medical school. To defeat that, basically, I readjusted my study schedule. To be brief, I studied from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day, and 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 in between between 8 and 9, I would you know, kind of have a downtime, and then from 9 p.m. to midnight, I would write my notes every day, and whatever I didn't remember, I studied again. Eventually, fortunately, with the neuroplasticity of the brain, I did restore, I would argue, close to near function, almost complete function. I've, I have no problem with memory now. However, then going to the second, <laughs> second injury, definitely more challenging, way more challenging. So just to clarify, so I was in a car accident. Accident and I suffered a T12 burst fracture with compression of the spinal cord. Fortunately, I didn't, I didn't sever the spinal cord, fortunately. But nonetheless, it basically has made me a paraplegic. Now, currently, I'm able to walk with the assistance of a walker, but more or less, you know, and I'm able to perform procedures. I'm able to stand, balance is coming back, so forth and so on. But learning the challenges I've learned from these procedures not, are not only physical, but mental. Okay, so in order to overcome such obstacles, which, you know, listen, I don't make these obstacles any more or any less than anybody else's, but to overcome such obstacles, you need to have a, a sense of, listen, I'm going to do it. And if I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it now. If I can't do it now, I can't do it yet. In other words, you can't say, listen, everyone has ups and downs. Anyone, that says, anyone who says otherwise would, you know, be nicely telling you not the truth. But the ups and downs occur for everybody in these situations. I'm, I actually still keep in contact with those that I was in therapy with in Georgia, which at the Shepherd Center, which was amazing, and then VCU, which was also great. But more or less of it, you have to just continue on and remember that if you can't do it now, you can't do it yet. And the other thing is, I always say, if you, if you can't ever do it, let's say it comes to the point where you just can never do it. Well, that's okay. I accept what I am and I will still be the best doctor and person I can be. That is a, a wonderful outlook. If you can't do it now, then maybe you can do it then. And accepting the things that, that life presents to us and still moving forward and still having a sense of purpose and a reason for living. It's, it's just really a fascinating and powerful and optimistic outlook. So I really do appreciate you sharing that with us. Keeping on that subject, I wonder how experiencing those two extraordinary medical challenges has influenced your view or your approach to the patient-provider dynamic and relationship. In short, 
How, if at all, has that changed what you've gone through? Has that changed how you practice medicine? So yeah, absolutely. So here's here's one thing I will say. It's important that I learned from this. I'm going to try to be brief because of time constraints. But when I was in therapy, I was with, we would be in a therapy session with, you know, a whole bunch of people around you, ranging from people who were walking to people who were quadriplegics. And I remember there was, you know, everybody was, it was kind of a complaining session, you know, just to kind of let it out, kind of therapeutic session. And I remember listening to some of the stories and I said, you know, I, in my head, I said, I have nothing to complain about here. I'm lucky, you know, I'm, I'm gaining function back. I'm starting to walk a little bit. And so I remember when it came to my point, I said, listen, I'm going to pass. I don't really feel like I have the right to complain. And well, out of the blue comes a young boy who was a quadriplegic who said to me, he said, listen, just because you have it, just because mine may be worse, doesn't mean yours is not bad. So in other words, so what's my point? My point is as follows, is that, you know, people will say, well, you're lucky to be alive or it could be worse. Yes, it could be worse, but that doesn't mean this is not bad. So to answer your question directly now, the point is when I look at patients who may complain of, let's say, something that to me, right, who's having difficulty walking, I may say, hey, listen, I wish I could be you, right? Well, that doesn't mean just because it's not as bad doesn't mean it's not bad for them. So Absolutely. there's more empathy there. You know, if you follow, I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. like the expression, the expression of, well, you could be dead or it could be worse. Yes, you're absolutely right. It could be worse and you could be dead. But that doesn't mean that this is not bad. And that's something that I, now I granted, I know people try their best to empathize and they, sometimes they don't know what to say and that's okay. But, you know, those that are close to me, like Dr. Butch, who's very close to me, I, you know, I try to sat him down. I said, you know, when there's certain things happen to me that I don't like and it makes me upset, I say, I say, yeah, you're right. It's not, it, it's not, I know it doesn't bother you guys and you guys are supportive to me. That is correct. I know that, but that doesn't mean it's okay for me. And he's like, you know, the other day we were at my house and he says, you know, I, I, I finally get it. I said, yeah. So for patients, the point is I, I listen to them and, I, you know, it doesn't matter. And I remember when I'm my neurosurgeon, when I was in medical school, I had brain surgery. He said to me, he goes, you know, listen, if it's important to them, then it's bad. Even as little as it may be to you, as little as it may be to you, it doesn't matter. It's still bad. Why? Because it's important to them. So the end really message is, you know, people have to calculate their message and the way they act and the way they approach people based on listening to patients and saying, listen, okay, let's say somebody can't play racquetball. I'm saying, well, man, plus I would love to play a racquetball, right? Well, if they can't play racquetball anymore because of, let's say, I don't know, a cardiac condition. Well, if it's something that was really important to them, then you know what? You have to understand and you have to empathize with them. Doesn't mean you put them down. Doesn't mean you, you blow them off. What it means is Basically, you understand that it was something that was important to them, and as such, you treat it that way. Absolutely. You know, it's as you said, it's uh, effectively, it's all relative, and we never know what someone else is going through, but if it's meaningful to them, if it's powerful to them, then it's something that has resonance in their life, and therefore, we have to account for that uh, and have to be accommodating for that. So I appreciate you sharing that. So Dr. Amico, we've talked about the medical challenges that you've experienced and your journey through recovery. I want to ask about the support you've gotten from colleagues and from coworkers and hospital team members throughout this process and how that helped you along during the recovery. Sure. Uh, the support I received from Chesapeake Regional was and still is to this day, unbelievable. I mean, I couldn't be luckier than, or more blessed than uh, than ever. I mean, I remember being in therapy, and Mr. Jackson, who's the CEO, would call me and just, you know, hey, listen, 
don't worry about it. We got you. I mean, I have nothing but great things to say about him and the institution. I'm very, very, very grateful for everything they have done for me. They stood by me during my injury, something I don't think many institutions would do, but, you know, it's a case-by-case scenario, but they were absolutely amazing. They're, this is an institution that I would, that I'm blessed to be working at and have found a, a home that I don't anticipate ever leaving because of how great they have treated me and still to the day. And I think it's a top-notch place to work, and also they're just, they're just great people. And, you know, that's the number one thing we want to look for, right, is good people. And, well, we have it here at Chesapeake Regional. And then this is a philosophical question, but it's often been observed that for better or worse, our experiences define us. What do you think of that notion, and how have the accumulated experiences you've encountered shaped your outlook and perspective on life? Yeah, so pretty much kind of echoes what I just said. And, you know, the other thing is I just, I will not give up. I will, I will not, I will, I will not. And, and, and if I can't do what I used to do perfectly, that's okay. I'll make it work. I'll make, I'll make it as best as I can. And then I, therefore the biggest thing is acceptance, right? So you need to accept what you have and accept what you don't have. Accept your loss and accept your gain. And if you do that, you'll be much happier, number one. Number two, you'll probably be more successful in, in regaining what you, do, what you don't have. So in terms of outlook in life, is, the other thing is, too, is really, uh, like I told my father when I was in, in the bed at the Norfolk Journal, and I said to him, like, Dad, I was, when I was first injured, I said, listen, I was like, make sure you do what you want to do in life. Because you know what? One, it could be a 30 seconds, and your life can be turned around for the worse at first. And you say, because you never know what comes down the pike, right? So therefore, it's kind of really do what you want to do in life and remember that life, don't take anything for granted. Do not take it. Because this is, this is number two for me, round number two for me. And the, for me, it's like, it's kind of a challenge. And I take it on with, not with, I'm not happy I have it, but listen, because I have it, I'll, I'm going to take it on and, and, I'll, and I will work as hard as I need to. Nothing will stop me. So, including going to get stem cells and potentially somewhere in the U.S. that's in the works. But the point is, is that, you know, things are handed to us for good and for bad. There are good things and there are bad things handed to us. Listen, celebrate the good and also accept the bad. Because if you don't accept the bad, you, you will not succeed in defeating the bad. As much as that may be kind of, you don't want to hear that. You know, like, oh, well, I wish it never happened to me. Yeah, well, yeah, same here. But it did. So unfortunately, you have to learn to accept the bad. And if you don't accept the bad, it's going to eat you up alive. It's almost like not forgetting the past or not forgiving. It, all it does is hurt you. Right. No, absolutely. It's great perspective. And I love that attitude. You know, you're not going to stop me. Never give up. It reminds me of, you know, since we talked about that New York connection a few moments ago, it reminds me of uh, <laughs> Jimmy V, the basketball coach. Never give up. Even when he was battling a cancer diagnosis, a terminal cancer diagnosis, you know, keep putting one foot in, in front of the other and keep marching forward. So I, I really love that attitude. And I appreciate you being with us, Dr. Miko. Before no, no we problem. go, we're going to close things out as we do on each episode with our tradition here to ask our guests a pair of fun personal questions. To keep things interesting, we have a list of 10 mystery questions that you can choose from. So if you give me two numbers between one and 10, I will ask you the corresponding questions. Three and eight. Okay, three which I think we sort of covered this, uh, or you've dispensed a lot of advice uh, anyway. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received, and why does it stick with you? <laughs> Thanks, man. So the best piece of advice I've ever received is, really honestly, is to accept and forgive. Because if you don't, it will just eat you up. It really will. 
to really to accept and forgive. That's just the only thing. You know, post injury, I've been going to more Bible study and whatnot, and 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 there's a lot of truth in that. Mm-hmm. And then number eight, this is uh, actually the perfect capstone to this conversation because it will conclude on an uplifting note. Tell me one memory from your life that whenever you think of it, it makes you smile. Okay. Well, I have a lot of those, believe it or not, despite all the negatives that I've had. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't want to be cliche here and say I'm the birth of my son because that was the greatest point in time, but I mean, just anything? Yeah, anything you want. <laughs> okay, fine. It's, it's your, it's so your life. Was, so, for, so this is, this is for me, and, and when I was in therapy, listen, to it, all the bad that I've been, all the bad that therapy brought on, you know, that time in my life, I'll never forget when my father literally is so proud that he buys Georgia peaches, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I was in Georgia, and he, I'm like, I have, I was, it was eight o'clock at night, and I'm like, Dad, where are they? Because my dad's the best, and he was with me a lot. He's like, they're across the room on the top shelf, on the fifth shelf. I'm like, Dad, I can't move. How am I going to get to them? So that will make me crack up left and right. Uh, so as stupid as that may sound to people, to me that brings joy, that brings happy, that makes me laugh and, and smile. With all the bad that was going on, you know, issues with you know, personal uh, hygiene and all that. That is hilarious. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll throw that out there. He's brilliant. My was a brilliant internist here. Okay, brilliant doctor. He goes goes ahead and puts things on the fifth shelf. And then I can I I'll be quick. I'll just throw it. and then when he set up set up at our, our apartment at Shepherd, he put everything on the top shelf again. I'm like, dude, you have not learned. <laughs> <laughs> you have not learned. They loved him there. They called him Big Frank because his name is Frank too, and he's just hilarious. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us, and I appreciate you making a few moments of time in your busy schedule. And with that, that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Dr. Frank Amico Jr., for joining us today and for sharing his very powerful personal story. So thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You're welcome. 